is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to episode 181 of the Rebel Author Podcast. Today, I'm talking to Ines Johnson all about business, processes, efficiency, and generally being a massive badass. But first to last week's question, which was, tell me about something you have that makes your life easier. Kerry Hardisky said, portable phone charger. My phone is old and the battery is shit, so I picked up a portable charger and keep it in my purse always. Perfect for things like outings with Tiny Rebel, where I'm taking tons of pictures, or last year at the Renaissance Festival in the middle of nowhere. Heather Button says, something that makes my life easier is uh, Outlook. So this would apply for everyone who uses it. Emails get lost in people's inboxes. This can be bad if you're waiting on someone's answer so you can update or finish a client task on time. If you use Outlook, you know that you can flag emails to make them into tasks and reminders later. Well, if you open up your emails option before you got uh, sent, you can actually flag a reminder to pop up at a specific time for all the recipients in the email. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Obviously, it only works if they use Outlook too, but it looks like a reminder box and keeps the email highlighted until you answer. That is seriously, seriously cool. I love that. I, I never knew that. I was not very uh, good at using all of the functionality of Outlook. I now just use my um, like innate uh, Apple mail thing where you can slot all of the email addresses in. But uh, I love that. Okay, so this week's question is, what's the best April Fools you've ever done, witnessed or heard about? I bloody love April Fools. My dad and I often play April Fool jokes on each other. So um, yeah, I would love to hear about your April Fools experiences. Book recommendation of the week this week is Right to Riches, Seven Practical Steps to Manifesting Abundance from Your Books by Renee Rose. So this is like woo-woo as fuck, I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> it's super woo-woo, uh, but I loved it. I thought it was great. It was um, a fantastic mindset reminder, a boost, and I am actually trying to actively every day be more mindful and more grateful. And so yeah, I've really, I really enjoyed it. Like I listened to it in audio, it was a short one. Um, but yeah, I recommend that book for this week. So in personal news and updates, I have been on not one, but two podcasts in the last week or so. It's strange how they always come around like all at the same time. But anyway, the first one, I was interviewed by the ever lovely HB Line on the Unstoppable Authors podcast. And I will include a link to the show notes, um, a link in the show notes for that. And that was all about creating new pen name and then I was on the Big Gay Fiction podcast uh, with Jeff Adams and that will be alive by the time you listen to this and that was talking all about a game of hearts and heists and like it's I think it's the first time I've actually been on a podcast purely talking about the fiction uh, the new fiction so that was really lovely uh, to get a chance just to talk about that and not to talk about craft and writing although obviously I love talking about craft and writing that's like my nerd central heart soul place um but still you know I love my fiction too so it was lovely to to be interviewed and and to get to talk all about my fiction so yeah so in personal bits and updates, I have been working pretty diligently on trying to write 
500 words a day for the nonfiction. And I was doing really well on that up until Tuesday, I want to say, where I realized I needed just a little bit more time to intellect and a little bit more time to bolster some structure around it. My focus was starting to feel fractured and the deeper I got into the fiction project, so A Game of Romance and Ruin, the harder I was finding it to consistently write on a different project in the same day. So I I would like to continue working on the nonfiction, but I feel like I haven't maybe, I don't know, I don't know if I need more input or more intellecting time, I'm not entirely sure. I'm gonna try, but I think maybe what will happen is I'll be able to do it for a bit, and then the deeper I get into a manuscript, the harder that will become. So um, I'm now 41 and a bit thousand, 41 and a half thousand words through. I wrote 30,000 words last week, which is great, but my brain feels like mush. (laughs) So like, whilst I might be able to write fast, I still need a couple of like pit stop days every so often. Um, So I'm hoping that the book will be finished by the end of next week, I hope. I don't know, maybe it will be slightly after. I'm not sure. No, I think it will probably be slightly after. Well, 40, if I write 30K again next week, mm, I might be close to finished by the end of next week. So that will be great. Um, so I think this one's going to take a little longer than three weeks, maybe just over three weeks. But still, that's fine. It's not the end of the world. I needed uh, two days, so I didn't write yesterday and I'm not writing today, I don't think. Uh, but I will be back to writing tomorrow. So tomorrow is my birthday. I'm very excited because uh, I am getting a book shopping trip. So my wife was like, what do you want? And I always ask for books every year and nobody buys me books. So I was this year I was like, I'm only going to ask for books. So we are going down to London. We're going to go to my favorite bookstore and I am going to get like unlimited time in there so nobody will tell me they've had enough and they want to leave like I'm just gonna get to spend as long as I want in there and then um I get to hand the pile of books to my wife (laughs) I'm so excited and uh she's gonna pay for them so that is my um birthday present and I don't think I've ever been so fucking excited um so yeah I'm super super ridiculously excited for uh for that and then she also booked a vegetarian restaurant so yeah I'm like I just I'm like delighted at the prospect of this so most of the things that I'm going for are vampire books and because they are like my catnip I fucking love vampire fiction uh so I'm going for vampire books and smut basically (laughs) if I'm completely honest like, do you know what? Like, I should I shouldn't be allowed to read smart. I'm not mature enough not to laugh or giggle when I say the word smart. Um. Anyway, so that that's kind of what I've been doing. Uh. And that that's literally it. Like last week, writing the thirty k, uh, it took a week. So, um, yeah, I don't think I have any other updates. I'm a few thousand words into the villain's journey. Uh. So that is wonderful. It means that when I come to getting it on track as the main project, it will go a lot quicker. I'm hoping to have a few thousand more by the time I get there. Thankfully, I'm no longer sick. That was just like a a mini sickness. I do think that the amount of times I've been sick this year, I do need to slow down, but you know, that is going to require cutting something significant out. And at the moment, I'm not sure what that is. Uh, What I will say is I'm extremely grateful for all of the support um, for Ruby. The book is still selling 
to my surprise and delight, the book is selling, you know, a reasonable amount every single day and it is bringing in some cash. And I'm very excited by this because I really want to build a fiction, the, the basis for a fiction, a sustainable fiction business. And so, yeah, I'm just super excited, super excited and super grateful. And I am so excited for this next book as well. (laughs) Not that I'm trying to one up myself because I don't, I don't know that I can. And also I want to do something different in book two, but like, (laughs) I'm excited. (laughs) And also I'm really enjoying writing the sex scenes. That's all I'm going to say. Okay, that's it. That's it. I'm out. I'm out. Let's move on. All of the week this week is Holly. So Holly says, less my own and more one of feminist rebellion by my formidable great grandmother. Can I just say, (laughs) I don't know what it is about the generation of grandmothers that listeners have, but they are some seriously kick-ass people. I am absolutely fucking loving these granny rebellions. I think the granny rebellions are quickly becoming my favorite ones. Okay, so Holly says, over a hundred years ago, my, whoa, uh, my great-grandmother married my great-grandfather. She did something rather uncommon at the time. She kept her maiden name, Besley, as a middle name. It gets better. When she had my grandfather, she named him Jack. The local vicar said she couldn't name him Jack. What? He would, he would be christened John. She gave him the one-fingered salute, didn't christen her son, and named him Jack Besley Arter. This was unthinkable at the turn of the last century. My grandfather passed the name on to my mum, although he gave her the male spelling of her first name, something she has rebelled against all her life and, inspe- and insists on spelling it Lindsay instead. Alas, she didn't give me Besley as a middle name, bucking the tradition. But when I learned the story of my great-grandmother's rebellion in my teens, I voluntarily took up the name. I even managed to make it official and get it onto my passport with a supporting letter from my mum to explain that it was a family nat- name. I now proudly go by HB Line and I named my firstborn Jack Besley. No way! Oh my goodness me! I didn't know you named your first one. That's so cool! I love, love, love this rebellion. I love that it like has historical and familial like significance. This is fucking brilliant. Also, oh my goodness me, your great grandmother, what a legend. Like that would have been like seriously controversial for her to have done that. So I just, I fucking love the granny rebellions. Like I want to put, somebody needs to collate these into a book of all the granny rebellions and why like the women of the, I don't know, prior generations are so badass. If you or your granny would like to be a rebel of the week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, something big, something small, or something in between. You can email your rebel story to Becca over on rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you to returning a new patron, Cindy and Bianca Wardle. I really seriously appreciate your support. You helped to keep the show running. You helped to pay for the costs of the show and for my time as well. And to top it all, you make me feel like what I'm doing is worthwhile. So thank you so much for the support. If you would like to get uh, early access to all of the episodes as well as bonus content like the Slack community group, the movie nights, Poison and Prose sessions, Rebel Masterclasses, and even an opportunity to ask our uh, podcast guests questions, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. 
Okay, that's it from me. This is an incredible episode. Ines is literally amazing. I'm awe-inspired by her. Um, I, I, I love her. I want to be her when I grow up, personally. <laughs> so I hope you enjoy this episode uh, and you get loads out of it. I'd get a pen and paper if I were you. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast. I am ridiculously excited because we have a returning guest today. Ines Johnson is a lover of fairy tales, folklore and mythology. She spends her days reimagining the stories of old in a modern world. She writes books where damsels cause the distress, princesses wield swords and mums save the world. Best fucking stories ever. Uh, Ines writes books for strong women who suck at love. If you rocked out to the twisted triangle of Jem, Jerrica and Rio as a girl, if you were slayed by vampires with souls alongside Buffy, if you need your scandalous fix from Olivia Pope each week, then you'll love her books. Aside from being a writer, professional reader and teacher, Ines is a very bad Buddhist. She sits in Sangha each week and while others are meditating and getting their Zen on, she's contemplating how to use the teachings to strengthen her plots character and motivation. She lives outside Washington, D.C. with her two little sidekicks who are growing up way too fast. Can we just talk about the fact that kids like grow up in about one blink of an eye? Like, that is true. Oh my goodness me, my kid is nine and I like, like every so often I'll just look at him and be like, who are you? Yeah, who are you? Where did you come from? <laughs> and then, then the, the boys' voices deepen. Like I can still remember my son. Hi, everybody, by the way. <laughs> but I can still remember my son having a bit of a high-pitched voice. And now I hear like a man calling out to me. And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> yeah, I'm terrified of that. Um also uh, a scandal and Olivia Pope. <laughs> yes, like, right? I actually think it is possibly one of my favorite shows ever like yeah. without exception there was like a, a couple seasons that are a bit wobbly in the Agreed. middle Agreed. um but like damn that is like me and my wife binged watched that and we it's rare that something will get us hooked and we are like every single night watching like four episodes back to back but yeah i loved it um, I can't believe that you were uh, last on episode 90, which is like 80 some odd episodes ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. So yeah, I know. It was June 21. What the fuck? <laughs> June 21. Um, so, like, what have you been up to since then? Because <laughs> that's a whole heap of time. <laughs> it is a lot of time. And I've written a lot of books during that time. That's pretty much all I've been doing is just writing these books. I Sometimes I feel like I'm obsessed. Someone said once, when you hit that publish button, it becomes an obsession. It's like it's, mm-hmm. it's like instant gratification because I come from television. And, you know, we had to develop the idea, get the money for the idea, write the idea, cast the idea. And then it might come out next year. And when you write a book, it comes out of your mind. You hit publish and it's up there and people are asking you for the next Book. like immediately as well I know. but it does it, it becomes a high and i i this is this is my addiction and i am not going to seek any help for it <laughs> neither am i i am right there with you so how many do you know how many books you've published now i know i stopped counting because i would have to keep recounting and like a couple of days or a couple of weeks later i'd have to recount so i just stopped i know it's over 80 okay yeah bloody hell that is incredible <laughs> um I hope that I how many do you publish a year now uh I never I never am honest with that question <laughs> I'm sorry. 
because I have two pen names. Um, my money winner is Shanae Johnson, which is my middle name. And Shanae, she's the money, she's the money maker, and she gets at least six books a year. Mm. And then I have the Ines pen name, who, you know, she 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 takes us on some vacations. And the Ines pen name, you know, she has less books than Shanae because Shanae is the is the breadwinner. And then I'm launching a new pen name, <laughs> which we may or may not want to talk about. But um, I got to feed them all. So I, I don't even pay attention to how many I'm releasing. I just know that Shanae gets a book every other month. And then I fit the others in there um, when I can. Yeah. No, yeah. That's not true. I have a plan. I I know you have a plan. But I but I just I it's 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 I like lists. It's in a list. So I get I get anxious when I when I give myself a deadline of you need to write this book by this particular deadline date. No. I just put the book if it's number one that I have to do, I do that book. And then I look at number two and I'm probably writing a little bit on number two and I'm plotting number three. And then I just move the the top one on the list off and then the second one comes up. That my brain likes that a lot better. I don't I don't really like the deadlines anymore. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's interesting because I've I swung backwards and forwards with deadlines. I lost a lot of confidence over the lockdowns because I just wasn't able to meet any of my own deadlines. So I just stopped setting deadlines. Mm-hmm. But now, now that I have a much clearer process and a much clearer system now that I understand how I write best I have shrunk the amount of time that it takes me to write a book down to about 40 hours so I know that uh, yeah I know that I if I did nothing else I could release a lot of fucking books every year but unfortunately for me unfortunately for me I do 75,000 other things so I can't I can't release as many as I would like to um, however, I have come back to at least having a notional concept of deadlines, like a deadline that I aim for. But yeah, anyway, this is not about me. Um, <laughs> so I'm just going to shut up. Uh, so we are going to talk about the business side of being an author, which I think you do incredibly well. I've heard you talk so many times recently. And so, yeah, I wanted to pick your brains about the business side. So with multiple series and now multiple pen names, yep. how the flipping heck do you stay organized? What what do you do to keep the business side organized? So unfortunately, the folks listening can't see some of my madness, which you can see, see some of the whiteboards behind me. But there's also a whole bunch more going on on the other side of of me as well. I I love a calendar. I'm very analog. I'm very manual. Like I had one of my really good author friends. She's like spreadsheets for everything, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that because <laughs> it doesn't bring me any joy. I can't color. I color a little bit on a spreadsheet, but I I yeah. I want to write it down. I want to put stickers to it. I want to highlight it. I want to make it a whole thing. I want to put uh, book tabs and sticky notes on it. So I do a lot of my organizing on calendars and inside bullet journals. (laughs) Yes, I said it. I'm a bullet journal herb. And um, I have a Kanban board, which I live by. Um, I have a, um, and that that, that I learned from Sarah Cannon in her Heart Breathings channel. But I have a Kanban board of what's what I need to get done for this particular quarter. 
And I love the sticky notes. My sticky notes are color corded to whatever project I'm working on, to whatever goal I'm working on. So I think Sarah, she only has three. Yeah, I have bought out staples and I have all the colors because I have I have more than three goals that I'm trying to accomplish um, any given quarter. So I have I've got the sticky notes. I have a marketing and promotions calendar. And there's stickers for that too. I'm a big fan of Procrasta Planner, et cetera, on Etsy, who is an author who makes stickers for authors. So I have marketing stickers. I have new release stickers. I have book site promotion stickers. I have update your um your Facebook page stickers, stickers galore. And that brings me joy instead of having it all written down like on a checklist. I can just, I can look up at my pretty displays and I can also spend time when I need to procrastinate. I can also spend time making those pretty. And then I go to them and I, and I get excited. I'm like, yeah, I get to put a sticker on. So that's how I organize my um, admin tasks, my new releases, my promotions, which I do weekly and I do monthly and quarterly. We'll talk about that. Um, but uh, digitally, I have um, what I call a metadata cheat sheet, which I'm happy to share with you and your readers, your listeners. Um, and that metadata cheat sheet, I do it per series. And I usually write about between three and six books per series. My longest one is 13 books. And so on that metadata cheat sheet, I have everything that I need um, to access the information really quickly. I have the book's length. I have the book's ISBN number. I have the ASIN, the all the identifiers. I have the blurbs. I have um, copy. I have TikTok copy. I have Facebook copy. I look at what was my last great Facebook ad. I, all that information is on that sheet in a nice organized way. And that's uh, just, a, just a Google Doc that I have access to at any point. And like I said, I have the calendars and stickers and they just they just make me happy. So a couple of follow-up questions then. Mm-hmm. Um, how often do you update the asset sheet or when in your process do you do that? That's question one. The new release. So when I, so I'm just adding the new release to it. That's okay, it. okay. And then um, where... On your Kanban board, because I also, thank you, Sarah, mm-hmm. have a Kanban board. <laughs> um, so for mine, I structure it, I color code as well, because I work in color, <laughs> hence my bookcase behind me. Um, <laughs> so I have fiction, I have nonfiction, I have like increasing income, like section, and then mm-hmm. I have everything else, which includes like life, at, like at life admin, school admin, Um Oh, I don't wow. know, like, yeah, like freelancey bits and, um, you know, then things that I want to do for me, like clean out the bed drawer or whatever. So like I have, yeah, I have just like a, a an everything else column, but that's like cut into four sections so that yeah. I have, yeah, because otherwise like I, I have to organize my life brain as well as yeah. <laughs> if it's not I, on a sticky note, you. it doesn't exist. So yeah, how do you, like, what is, how is yours broken down? Is it by book, by? So first it's broken down by pen name. So right now I'm only really dealing with two pen names. And so there's a Shanae side and then there's an Ines side. And my, my third pen name is going to be the initials and S Johnson, because I'm just writing something that's going to have a different audience, but I don't want to do the bulk of the work. That's another conversation. So I have the Shanae side and I have the Ines side. And the first things that I have are the books that I'm going to be writing in this particular quarter. And I have, um, and I just, I just go by act one, act two, draft, act one, draft, act two, draft, act three, revise, act one, revise, act two, revise, act three, write the blurb, outline the book, set up the print book. Cause I always forget to do the print book until it's too late. 
So I have that for each book that I'm going to write in each pen name in the quarter. And then in the center is where I have admin. So I don't I don't put my uh, personal life stuff on there, but mainly because one, I don't really have a life. My kids are grown. <laughs> so in the middle is, is admin. So it'll be things like um, do January's promotions, do update your website for January. I still haven't updated my Rakuten or my Apple links for the, the latest releases that have come out. It's like a 10 minute thing to do. And I still haven't done it. So it's like, things like how that. many of those fucking tasks build up? Seriously, like I can, I could spend a whole working week just like dealing with that back end stuff. And I think this is why this is such an important conversation because we all talk about like how to get the book out, how to run an advert, but actually yeah. there's so much other shit that we deal with. <laughs> it's so overwhelming. Um, okay. So do you have a business plan? Do you have like a marketing plan? How do you decide like what to do, like what business model you're, you're using a lot or like where to invest your time and effort? I do not have a business plan. <laughs> Because I've made them in the past and then I don't look at them again until the end of I'm the I'm the same. I'm the same. I've done them and then just ignored it. They go in a drawer or in a digital file. So what I do instead is I have an income goal that I want to reach. Um, I have an income goal that I want to reach for the year. And then I break things down into a quarterly plan. And I and so my goals are how am I going to hit this particular income goal? And I can't yeah, that's true. How am I going to hit this particular income goal? Like, what are the strategies that I'm going to need to hit the income goal? And I don't mind talking numbers. Um, so because what I need to thrive in my little hood in in the, the DMV, which is the DC, Maryland, Virginia area, I live just outside of Washington, DC, what I need to thrive and pay all my bills, including put some money away is $5,000 a month. That's what I need. My, But I... And what I learned when I started to hit that consistently was that, so great, you're making this, this is exactly what I wanted. And so my goal has always been, I wanna feel comfortable. I wanna feel like a warm blanket is wrapped around me. And that's what that $5,000 a month would do. It made it feel like a warm blanket was wrapped around me. So I was like, I don't have to strive anymore. I don't have to work hard. I am comfortable. Do you know what happens with comfort, Sasha? Uh-oh. Things start to constrict when you get comfortable and you're not actively trying to grow. And I didn't realize that because I was like, I don't want to struggle anymore. I just want to sit and be comfortable with my $5,000 a month for the rest of my life. But it does not work like that, unfortunately. So even though it still remains all these years later, $5,000 a month gives me everything that I need. I need to constantly think about growing my business. So in 2022, my goal was to consistently hit $15,000 a month. And I did, I did my goals and I broke it down by, okay, if Shanae publishes this many books and she hits this particular amount in a new release and she hits this particular amount in her backlist series, great. So Shanae needs to do this and Ness needs to do this. Um, I need to do this many foreign translations in order to hit the goal. I just broke it all down and, and to, to, to math. It just became math and hit, 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 hit. And I, oh, I exceeded my goal. <laughs> And so in 2023, it would make sense for me to say something like 25, but I'm close to that. So I did another goal and I said, okay, I'm going to hit 50,000 each month, which sounds completely insane, but I did the math and I see how it's possible. Do I need $50,000 each month? 
I'm not going to say yes or no to that because the universe is listening. And we saw what the universe did when I said, oh, I'm good with 5,000. So I made my goal 50,000 so that I could grow and grow exponentially so that I don't experience that contraction again. And so talk to me a little bit about the math. Like, how do you come to the conclusion about what is a realistic stretch goal? Like, how do you pick the number? So like five, and I don't mean the 5,000 because that is generally, most of us know what we need to pay our bills and like to put enough away for a holiday or whatever. So like once you... Once you, yeah, I, I don't know if I'm asking like, because a lot of the listeners won't be at that level. Mm-hmm. How how do you say I'm going to, like, what is it that you're doing to make that analysis? What what data are you thinking okay, about? Let like, me, yeah. Let me use the five first. Okay. Because um, originally, like um, when I first started, I just needed $25,000 a month. I remember that. 25,000 um, a month. Sorry, hundreds, sorry. <laughs> and I'm talking math. <laughs> $2,500 a month um and that and that works out to about 83 dollars a day and so i worked that down and i i needed to if i if my books were making two dollars a sale i needed to sell 40 books a day in order to make that so that's how i broke it down in the math and once that became a steady thing then i said well i said let's let's sit back and chill and i realized no that's the wrong answer then i said okay well then let's double that not because i again not because i i needed it to survive because i needed it to thrive so it became like that. And I always tell people, you want to make a SMART goal that is relevant to you. That 2,500 and now the 5,000 is relevant for me because it's what I need in order to sustain my livelihood and, and to be comfortable. So, and that's all we need to do. We need to, I break it. I, I like to break things down by month and then my day. So now if, if I needed the... um. 5,000, that's $160 a day that I need to make. And that's 80 book sales, depending upon how much your books are, because maybe your books are, are $399 or $499, or maybe you're in KU. And so you want to think about it in terms of the page reads that you would get on a, on a daily basis. So that's how you start to think about it. But I, I strongly feel like that goal has to be tied to something that is relevant to you. Maybe you want to have an, go on an amazing cruise and take your whole family. Maybe you need to pay, have some extra money to pay for the car payment. Or maybe you want to, to, to fund your retirement. That's Those are specific numbers. And when you're working with specific numbers, it ha- the value is, is, is potent. It's rele- relevant to you. And then you just do the math. You divide by 30 days, or you divide by 365 days, and then you start to work out, okay, how do I make five more sales, 10 more sales? Do I do newsletter swaps? Because those are free. Do I do posts on social media or TikTok? Because those are free. It's just going to take time. Can I afford some paid ads? And then if you afford, can afford the paid ads, you need to add the cost of the ads back into that number. It just beca- Then it just becomes a numbers game. Okay. Yeah, that's brilliant. I, I love that. And I love the fact that you like apply it to something that's super personal as well. I think it like makes it much more, potent as a goal um and like I have read a lot of books like money mindset books um Mm -hmm. Michelle Rogers I think her name is like we all need to be a millionaire or something and like the children are lady and like they all talk about like not just choosing something arbitrary but choosing something that has a meaning to you because then it makes you fight harder for it I think um okay so 
without you, well, you don't have to go into financial details, but how do you decide how much money to invest? So like a lot of authors, you know, come to this and are horrified by uh, perhaps the cost of a cover or perhaps the cost of an edit. And then on top of that, before they've made any money, they then have to do some kind of paid advertising because we all know it's a pay to play game now. So how do you how do you decide what to spend? How do you decide which books are worth investing in? How do you track it? Do you track it? Um yeah, all of those kinds of questions. So I have books out now so that I can gather some data. So my very first books, which were books of the heart, they were absolute books of the heart. I still love those books. I still think that they're very well written, but they don't sell because I wrote them for me. (laughs) Not a lot of people are exactly like me and want to read exactly what I was writing at the time. So I literally sit down and I did an inventory of all of my series. And to do the inventory, I just went, let's just use Amazon. I went into my reports and I used book report. I went into book reports and I pulled up the series all time. And I would look at, okay, what did in series number one, all the books in series number one, what did that make? What did series in books in series number two, number three, what did they make? And I just sat them side by side and I took a look and I, it was, it was a hard evaluation that I had to do because my earlier series, they were not selling at all. And then there were times when, um, with my, with my second pen name, really my third pen name, Shanae, who's the moneymaker, the first series continues to make crazy amounts of money. But then the second series was not doing so well, even though it was set in the same place. And I had to do a hard inventory. And I was like, what's different about these two? Well, the covers were different. The titles were different. <laughs> and they were, they were, they, they didn't look like they belonged together. So I revamped those. And then they began to sell just as well as the others. So doing that hard inventory and taking emotion out of it and just looking at the numbers that's how I started to decide. And then th- because I I still do love all my books and I learned to treat them like employees and not babies <laughs> or my children. But before I learned that lesson, I or, or as I was learning that lesson, I said, you know what? I still love these books. I still think that they're really good books, the very first books. Let me give it my, now that I know all this new stuff, all these new ways to market, all these new ways to write copy and to position my books and I know where the readers are, let me try this again. I would change covers, I would change blurbs and I put the books back out there to give them their very, very best chance. They still didn't perform the way that I was hoping. And when I say the way that I was hoping, I want my books to at least give me back what I spent times two. So if I put in $500, I need to have at least $1,000 back in order for me to consider it a success. But that's not a runaway success. When you can 3X and 4X, that's when I call it a runaway success. And because I, I have these new skills now, I knew how to make a book 2X. But if it were 2X and then it would slump right back down to where it started, I couldn't, I couldn't argue with, you cannot argue with numbers. You cannot. So that's how I would evaluate what's working, what's not. And that's also how I would evaluate um, what to to put more money into. And so when I'm dealing with things like ads, um, I start with, uh, I will start with like a $10 to a $50 a day budget, depending upon what the objective is. I think this is where people fail on advertising. They don't have an, they don't have a smart goal and they don't have an objective. Um, because I've started using things called um, in Facebook ads called uh, doing sales or purchase objectives, which is different than what we most of us do, which is the traffic objective, because the traffic objective, that'll get you eyeballs. 
And that might get you people clicking, but it might not necessarily get you people buying the sales objective. That's going to get you people buying, but you're going to pay more for that. It's, it becomes trickier. You, you want, you're probably going to want to use some different copy. It's, you have to think about the objective that you are, are, are putting out there. Think about what your goal is and think about the objective of the tool that you're using in order to make something work. Mm. Oh, I love that so much. And one of the other things that I, okay, so no, I think I'm going to, I guess I'm going to ask that question. Oh my God. I just, I like, I want to ask you 75 million questions. Okay. Um, I just, I love this chat so much. Like, I think it's so, so, so important. And there are so many really brutal, but important lessons that yeah. new writers need to learn. So the first thing that I wanted to ask you is that you, you've you mentioned that you've got more than 80 books and I just want to put into perspective for listeners, how many of the, or what proportion of those books um, bring in your income? Because I think a lot of writers come to this thinking they can write one series and they're going to make enough money yeah. or they're going to make any money from yeah. it. And that's just not always the case. So yeah, I just wondered if you could talk about the proportions first, and then I'm going to ask you a different question. Sure. So with Ines, like the first one, two, three series that I wrote for Ines don't make any money unless I start to shout about them. And as soon as I quiet down, they go back to, to crickets. And that's series, not first three series. books. No. And most of those have at least three books in each series. And I don't make a, they don't make a peep unless I shout. Um, and then the books that are later in the series, because again, I've, I've learned my lessons and I started to write to market mm -hmm. and and the market is right to readers. Maybe we need to stop using the word market. <laughs> we need so, to start using readers. So I literally, in my last book, the anatomy of a bestseller, I say, I'm going to stop saying write to market because I write to reader. I don't write to market. I write to reader. Very nice. Yeah. hundred <laughs> percent. So, so yeah, I write to, to readers and luckily I love what, what my readers like to read, I love to read myself and I love to write. So I write to readers. And when you do that and you are able to communicate it to them, you're able to find each other better. My first books, again, they were written, they were stories that I just wanted to tell. And there was, there was, there isn't even a place for them in the sub genres and subcategories on the retailers. Cause it's just like, what is this? Um, so yeah, so with Shanae, same thing, like my flagship series, which um, Shanae's sweet romance, she's, mil she's military romance. The first flagship series, which is a Purple Heart Ranch series, and that's 13 books, that continues to sell well, period, full stop, because it's completely and entirely was written to what readers were screaming about in 2018, well, 2017, the books were published in 2018. And the series that come after that do well. The, the that first one continues to do the best. Um, and then I wrote something off market. I wrote two things off market because I am an artist, and sometimes I get distracted. And I think that you will love what I splatter on the page, and I'm not always right. So but I also, do have don't you don't you think that sometimes we actually just need to do that because yeah. we are artists, and sometimes yeah. like I am now getting a lot better at recognizing when I want to write a book for me and when I want to write a book that's to reader. Like, yeah. and I think there is space for us to do both of those. But as business owners, yeah. we have to recognize the difference between those books and it's okay to have both of those books but we have to manage our expectations 
about what the outcomes are going to be of those two books. But sorry, I interrupted you. No, but you said exactly what I would have said. That is exactly, that is 100% the truth. The first time that I that I did this foray with the Sinead pen name and I ventured away from Sweet Military Romance and I wrote Sweet uh, Royal Romance and my readers were like, what is this? I was I was so offended. I was so heartbroken that they didn't immediately follow me. And then I made the conscious decision to do it again, knowing that this might not work, but I really want to tell this story. And it it they they didn't follow again, but I, I I was set up for it. I knew that this was a possibility. So yeah, we are both right. You need to understand that you are writing to reader. And they might not, if you're not giving them what they want, they have so many other choices, you guys. So you you gotta be aware of that. Yeah. And like, I really genuinely feel like as indie authors, this is the thing that we need to understand, like, you know, for our mental health, for our sanity, um, because nobody's saying that you can't write the books that are quirky or like cross genre, but Mm -hmm. you have to understand that the likelihood of them selling is considerably lower. It's not zero. It's not zero. Yeah, but it's lower. Um, so that brings me on to my next question. And I am just like over here, ignoring all of these questions <laughs> I should be asking you. <laughs> um, but the next question is about writing to reader. Cause I listened to you. I can't remember where it was, but I listened to a fucking phenomenal talk about um, how you look at the market and how you decide uh, mm. what to do and understand what readers want. And so I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about how you do that. I actually know what you're talking about. <laughs> What I, I I do this I do two talks I call I do a talk called um, How I Failed My Way to Six Figures which I show you how I literally came to this realization of we need to be writing to to market or writing to reader and then I also do a talk and I bet this is the one you're referring to where I talk about beats and tropes and I talk about how I go and look at the bestsellers list and I mine the data that I see there um, but that's when I that's when I started to understand that those subgenres, the Amazon's smart. They put up they put up the categories and then if they put up subcategories looking and I think that they do this by looking at how many times people are searching for a specific keyword. Because at some point people started to search for clean and wholesome keywords a lot and they added that category back in t- 2016 is when they added clean and wholesome romance. It wasn't there before. So they're inventing stuff, but they're inventing it because readers are looking for this stuff. So by going to the marketplace and seeing what readers are clicking. And and I think that the Amazon and the Nook and the Apple bestseller charts will tell you way more than the USA Today, than the New York Times. Well, God rest in peace, USA Today. But it'll tell you more than, than any other charts because this is buying power. This is readers going and clicking and buying these books. So if you can write to what readers want, what you're seeing in the charts, and in the subgenres and in the subcategories and really in those niche places where readers are like, oh, I need more, I need more. And there's not enough people writing this. I think that if you can write there, then you have a good chance of making money. But if you are, are writing for your love, I'm like my very first book, it was dystopian. That was male, male, female, where the swords crossed. It was, it was, it was a whole bunch of things. There was a little bit of magic in it. It was, it was all over the place and there was no category that I could actually fit that book 
anywhere. And so meaning that the readers weren't asking for that particular thing. They may have been asking for Minaj Romance, but that's the only place that I could put it and nothing else really mattered. So that book has never, ever, it made its money back, but that book has never, ever, unless I'm shouting about it, that book does not make any sales. So I, I think what both you and I are trying to, to explain is that if you write for love, there isn't a guarantee that you're going to make a lot of money and find hungry readers. But if you go to the marketplace and you look at what's soaring up the top of the charts, that's what the hungry readers are begging us. They are begging us. They're telling you, write this. What And, and, and if you're thinking, well, but I don't write that. Okay, there's a lot of categories going on on, on those charts. And if you are writing military science fiction, there's readers that, that need those books. If you are writing um, horse fiction with, with where horses are featured prominently, there's readers looking for that kind of stuff. So I think that if you want to, if you want your stories in readers' hands, go to the charts and search for your niche. Yeah. Because, and, and that's where your readers are. And I also think this is testament to the fact that we as authors need to read widely. Like mm. I had never read Smut up until like, <laughs> l- like last year. And then I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like everyone fucking stop. Like what is this glorious thing that I have discovered? And then I was like, oh, this is what I'm supposed to be writing. Like yeah. I was oh. I was put on this planet to write that. And so like I it's been like the quickest pivot and shift ever. Oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Because you so were much- writing YA, weren't you? So okay. So I'm still <laughs> going. Yeah, I I know. I know. Oh my god, Uh-oh. what was I thinking? Uh-oh. Like I know. So I'm still gonna write some YA. Uh, I'm thinking about maybe querying one particular YA mm. um, because it's sapphic and the LGBT YA market is way owned by trad. So I'm oh, considering okay. querying okay. that. Okay. But I'm writing fantasy romance um, now, very spicy, very lesbian. So I don't know if it's gonna make any money um, because obviously fantasy romance is big. But then when you make it queer, it's mm-hmm. less big. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. Like, I feel like a lot of fantasy romance readers are pretty accepting of any kind of romance as long as it's spicy romance. So, you know, I, I've read so much now and it's there is all kinds of fucking romance in there. So I, I think I'm hope I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm receiving some very good feedback. So we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> But <clears throat> this brings me back to some questions for, um, like, I guess, newer authors. Mm-hmm. Um, newer authors are always told to just write the next book, just write the next book. But obviously, in writing the next books, they start to create a bit of a um, industry for themselves if they don't set up, like, some of the things that they need to be doing. So aside from just writing more books, like, where should a newer author spend some of their time? Should they market? Should they not market until they have more books? Like, what what do you think they should do? Let me add a caveat to 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 the write the more books because I I was writing more books when I was not selling very well. I wasn't writing the books that readers wanted. So yeah, I'll write the next book, but also go and look. I really think that the best thing that I started to do was to watch the marketplace. 
because the marketplace told me so much. It told me the the genres of people are reading. It showed me where the readers were. It showed me who my comp authors were. It showed me how the beats were differing. It showed me the tropes that readers were just absolutely loving. So study the market. Study just like when you get a new job, you, there's like an owner's manual or, or a worker's manual, right? Study the market. That's your manual. Study study it every day. Like go in. Like I have all the um the retailer apps on my phone and I do what I call tap in the apps. Like I go and I look at Amazon's top 100 books. I go and look at Nook's top 100 at Apple's top 100. And I see what people are clicking on, what readers are wanting that day and the next day and the next day. And that just gives me so much information. It shows me where the audience is. It tells me keywords to target. It tells me books to target. It tells me trends to try out or tropes that people just cannot get enough of. And then I can go and write the next book. And I'm, I have a better chance of, of being a part of the conversation that readers are wanting to have and not me having to barge into the party being like, hey, you guys, and interrupting the conversation. Like, I have something different to talk to you about. Don't be that guy. Don't see what's going on in the current conversation. Don't be and that then, guy, everyone. Right? <laughs> That's amazing. I no, I completely agree. I love that so much. Um, okay, so I've got two, a couple more questions. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you automate? Because mm-hmm. you have a big old business now. So, you know, and we are only one person, like I'm struggling and I do not have like as many books, anywhere near as many books. as you. <laughs> so what do yeah. Are there aspects of your business that you automate? And if so, what? Well, <sighs> I think if you're saying automate, you like what's on kind of on autopilot, I think that might be what you're asking me. To to answer that, and let me know if I'm if I'm wrong, but there's a lot of things that I enjoy doing. And there's and I don't want to give them up because they just bring me joy to do. But then there are things that I have to that I, I can't do. Like I have met all of the um the merchandising folks, like I've met the people in charge of Kobo at, at events, people in charge of Nook. I've, I've met my Amazon rep face to face. And every time they're like, Ines, make sure you send me an email of what you have coming up or, or if you're doing a sale or anything. I'm like, okay. And then they don't hear from me. I hate asking. Oh, it's awful that I hate asking for help, but I hate it. So what I just finally did, and that includes like a PA. I'm awful. Do not be me. But be me in this in this respect, because now that I'm making enough I finally hired a a PR um, person and I'm so excited because they just took so much off my hands. They were like, okay, give us, give us your new release. We will make the graphics. We will post on, on all the socials. We will get the, go get the influencers. We will do the arcs. And I was just like, what? So that is the best way that I have figured out how to delegate um, that. And also I will delegate what I can't be objective on. So if um, there are times when I think that this book, like when I thought that that Royal Romance was going to do amazing and I was wrong, that's when I need to go and talk to somebody. When I when I have a new idea that I can't be objective of, when there's a series that is floundering and, and I keep wanting to put money into it, that's when I know I need to go and talk to somebody else. Other than that, everything automated in the sense of I do weekly newsletters and I just sit down, I schedule a day where I sit down and I do newsletters for both of my pen names. Um, at the beginning of the week, I look at what my ads are doing and I prune whatever needs to happen. So 
automated in the sense where I will just write things down in my planner. Okay, you need to do this on this day. Those kind of tasks I enjoy because I reward myself with stickers. Um, but anytime I think, anytime that I have to interact with another human being, that's when I'm just like, okay, let me pass this off to somebody else. No, I think that's so important though, because I came to this question with one thing in mind and actually mm -hmm. listening to you talk, I'm like, oh no, my answer is completely different. Okay. Um, not my answer is different. My answer to what I thought the answer was is different. It's my answer is almost identical to yours in that I automate anything I don't enjoy. Yeah. And, and that's it. Like if I enjoy it, I want to do it. Um, if it doesn't bring me joy, I get rid of it. I give it to somebody else or I automate it. And like, I think maybe newer writers want a um this is the right answer this is what you automate but i don't actually think there is a right answer because the things that you might automate are definitely not the things that i would well or you know or, or somebody else a another author mm -hmm. so like for example i love 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 doing Instagram stories. I love putting my face on Instagram story because I usually am just taking the piss out of myself or like saying ridiculous things that happen in my life or I'm like sharing updates on, on works in progress. I hate writing captions for posts, like the oh. static posts, can't stand it. So I just outsource it or like I outsource and then I tweak and edit because I don't mind tweaking and editing because the basis is there but like I just don't like I'm trying to write 100,000 words this month I do not have the fucking brain space to write a fucking 100 word caption for Instagram like I just don't have the brain space for that um yeah. I will be the one commenting and replying because I like replying yeah. to people yeah right but I yeah. don't want to write a caption I don't want to I don't want to schedule anything I don't want to make graphics like I don't do any of that stuff I just outsource the whole lot um I want to talk to and do my interviews do I want to send the graphics out do I want to schedule the post the the audio to go up no I don't want to do any of that so I don't do any of that but like this is the point right and I never really thought about it in this way until you just said that until you said actually it I don't do the things that don't bring me joy and I'm like oh my god of course like of course that's the bit that you automate so that makes so much sense I do think okay. you should learn them like when you're brand new I think you should learn how to do them Yes. Oprah who yes, says yeah. something along the lines of make sure you know like what the janitor does or something like that so that you know how your company works. Mm -hmm. And then as you go up, then you hire as you as you climb. Yeah, totally. Okay. So um my last question is about your I've heard you say this, I think twice, I want to say. I'm not sure, but you talk about how you do 52 promos a year. And I it just like my mind shattered when I heard you talk about this. So I just wondered if you could tell everyone about it, how you do it, how on earth you organize it, how on <laughs> earth you communicate about it, because it's so like, it's a lot. So yeah, talk to me about that. So when I say promo, I mean paid promo. So like paid newsletters, that's that I see paid promotion, paid newsletter promotions, Facebook ads, and new releases that I'm shouting about in my newsletter, that's what makes money for me. Every time I send a newsletter, I'm making money. I know how to get my Facebook ads to work. So with the paid promotion, but I, you know, if you see some authors, um, they're, they're uh, like book funnel reports, you'll see they kind of spike every time they have a new release. And the downside of that, new, the downside of that spike always would give me heart palpitations. I wanted to just keep rising, rising, rising. And so... I, I 
think that I heard Elena Johnson say, say this. She thinks that she heard Sky Warren say this. We don't know who said it. <laughs> but um, someone said one, it. <laughs> somebody said, um, I'm going to do 52 promotions a week um, or, or 52 promotions a year. And I was like, that's a really great idea because I would usually do something when I had something on sale. And now I have enough books that I can have constantly have something on sale. So along with my quarterly, my quarterly plan, where I'm trying to get to that number for my annual income, I decide what book is going to be promoted for either that quarter or that month or that two months or three months. And that's when I, that's when I start to schedule out. So each week, and there's 12 weeks um, that I'm planning out in a quarter, each week I sit down, not each week, I do this once a month and it takes me about two hours. I sit down and I plan who I'm going to have on for that week. Uh, maybe it's an e-reader news daily. Maybe it's a Robin Reads. Maybe it's a free booksy or a bargain booksy. And, I, and that's just four right there. So you usually have about four weeks a month. So I plan it. I plan January's in December and I plotted them all out. And now I've got four weeks of promotion that I don't even need to worry about or do anything with because that's what the paid promotion, the paid newsletter does. They handle all of that stuff. I will announce at the beginning of the month that, hey, this book is free or this book is on sale to my newsletter. And after that, I run with it. Another thing is how I make, how I decide when to do it or really what day to do it on. So Ines sends her newsletter every Tuesday. Shanae sends her newsletter every Wednesday. And then on Friday, I kind of have a little, because um, uh, I sell direct. On Friday, I, I post the first chapter of a backlist title and I post a direct link sale for that book. So I've got Monday and I've got Thursday and Saturday and Sunday, which I, which I will resend to unopens. So Monday and Thursday, nothing's really going on. Because remember, I said I get sales every time I send a newsletter. But sales would dip on Monday and Thursday. So that's when I put my paid promotion, my weekly paid promotions. I try to put them on a Monday or on a Thursday so that, again, my income can stay consistent. I like doing this once a, once a week, but I have tried to do like all of them that I would do for 12 weeks. The, uh, a couple of times last year, I put them all within like one week just, just to see what would happen. And it really evened out to the same amount for the month. Yeah. No. Oh, for, wow. for me and my books, always take with a grain of salt and test it for yourself. But yeah, it evened out to the same. It, it all, all the money came in all at once. But then if I did it over the course of week, it like that money just trickled in, trickle, 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 trickle. And I like the trickle. So mm, mm, mm. <laughs> I'm keeping well, up with the trickle. Yeah, it keeps the algorithms happier, I think, when you when you get the trickle in. Oh, you are just <laughs> incredible. Thank you. Like, uh, seriously, I'm just sat here in complete awe <laughs> of you. Like, fuck me. How do I get to grow up and be an ass when I'm older? Like, because you are just amazing. Like the wealth of knowledge, the the strategy and just the, the like level of detail. I, I just, I want to be you. <laughs> so like, <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me um, again. Before we finish, uh a little birdie tells me you have a brand new course <laughs> so tell yeah, everyone been, about that I've been going to I love teaching I taught for 15 years I taught I taught adult screenwriters for 15 years some of the most precious people and I say that sarcastically um so I, I've been teaching I, I learned how to talk to artists about their stories and make them feel safe and make them feel heard and give them a step-by-step -step process for art, which is hard to do because art is so subjective. 
But I I think I'm a very evenly right brain, left brain person. And so I can look at a piece of art and I, I understand how to break it down. So I would go to these conferences and I would say, hey, guys, I understand how to, to, to talk to you about beats. Or I understand how tropes work and that you need to do this, 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 and this when you're dealing with a trope. And I kept doing this and people kept coming up to me later saying, are you going to write a book? Are you going to do a course? And I say, no, I just, I just gave you all the information. Like, what more do you want from me? I gave you everything that you need. Like, no, I need more. And I was like, okay. So finally, I don't know. I think um, in December, I was taking a little bit of a break and I was like, huh, got all this information. I've got some time on my hands. Let me, let me just dabble and start to record this. And it it grew and it grew and I became really proud of it as it started to grow and I felt comfortable sharing it with people. And it became um, Page Turner Pacing, How to Write a Novel in 21 Days. And it's broken pretty much into two parts. The first part is it shows you, because I come from television writing, I take those lessons from episodic television writing, which deals in pacing. And think about all the television shows that you sit and you watch and you binge watch and you'll watch on repeat and syndication. There's a method to it. It's a very tried and true method that is taught to screenwriters. And I, I learned it. And so I break that down, which you'll see in every hour long drama or police procedural or paranormal or zombie television show. You will it will hit these particular pacing points and then it has to deal with commercial breaks. Right. So I know that the, the, the tips and the tricks to use to keep people to because when, when I think of a commercial break in a book form, I think of your, your between chapters. How do you get them to turn the page and their strategies to keep people halt at the end of their seat? or turning the page. There's strategies for when you get to the end of the book. And remember, episodic TV. So you want to get them to come back for the next story. I only write in series. So you have to end the, the, the particular story in a way for them to be satisfied, but for them to be ready to come back next week. And there's a specific, we call it the open door, a specific way that you would close out a story even if you're doing a cliffhanger, there's a specific little ch change that happens when you do an open door to get them to come back next week for the continuing story. So that was that's part one. And I put all of that together and I show you how to look at a television show and see each and every single point so that you can start to train that muse. It's like working out. It's like exercise for your muse. And you, you get trained to understand pacing, part one. And then part two, I show you how I take the pacing points and I can write a novel in 21 days using the pacing points and also incorporating any beats of my subgenre and any tropes that are hot at the time. And that's what page turner pacing is. And it's being really well received. I'm pretty for I thought a couple of people would say, oh, look, and that's just something cute. And I am shocked and overwhelmed by how many people have are trusting me and are thrilled with the content that I'm providing and I, I do I love helping people so yeah so I, my course is patient pacing you can find it at nswrites.com i-n-e-s-w-r-i-t-e-s.com forward slash p-t-p for page turner pacing and the first two lessons just to see if you jive with how I teach the first two lessons are free for everybody to come in there and last but not least I feel like Steve Jobs but wait there's more <laughs> There is a, a bonus marketing section that I added that shows you how to do the 52 weeks, that show you how I do my promotions, that show you how I deal with the social media and with new releases. So I put that in there because um, I wanted you to write this book and then I want you to sell it. So that's in there as well. Incredible. Um, I think I will be going over there very shortly. Oh, my goodness, I 
Hello, Jenny. Hi, Jenny. Okay, this is the Rebel Author Podcast. Tell everyone about a time you unleashed your inner rebel. A time when I unleashed my inner rebel. Um, (laughs) I think people are most surprised with my number one discipline that I don't use spreadsheets. I have an allergy to spreadsheets. They don't interest me. (laughs) And I am so analog. I have so many binders in my room that it's just crazy. You can't even see them all. (laughs) I have so many binders um, and I like to just record data on a daily basis. I look at my sales on a daily basis and I record the data. Do I do anything with this? No, it's just in my head. Are you, are you on target? Are you hitting your numbers? Does something go off the rails? And then I'll do something. I don't like to pull reports until I need them for a specific purpose. But yeah, the, when people learn that I don't deal in spreadsheets, they are just floored, but I rebel against Excel. Ooh. <laughs> oh, I like it. You're pro- you didn't know it. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for your time today. I, I genuinely like adore talking to you and I, I just hang on every single word that you say. So thank you so much for your time. Where can everybody find out more about you, your books, your courses and anything else you would like to add? The best place is, is to go to the course for the Ines, uh, com. If you like um, steamy romance with a little bit of magic, then you can go to com. And if you like sweet, clean, and wholesome romance that focuses on wounded warriors being healed by the power of love, you can visit Shanae Johnson. That's S-H-A-N-A-E Johnson.com. Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today. And of course, a big thank you to all of the show's listeners and all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. I'm Sasha Black. You are listening to Ines Johnson, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm joined by two guests, T.B. Markinson and Miranda McLeod, and we are talking about marketing in a niche and author collaborations. So join me next week for that. Don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher. And when you have a moment, please leave a review.